want slots. They don't get a vote. When Dylan wrote Shelter from the Storm, he didn't ask people to contribute to the lyrics. Plays don't stop so the playwright can ask the audience what scene they'd like to see next. Painters are on the verge of a tectonic... Hobbyists? A printer and a modem, two slots. Senor Trent. Senor Parth. Uh, hola. Como estas? Uh, muy bien. Y tú? I see, I see. I'd say that's as far as we can take this. Yeah, did you I take think... Spanish in high school? I did not. I took Latin. Oh, uh, that must have yeah, really, cool. really helped on your SAT, you know, root words. Yeah, yeah. What was the thinking there? You're like, I need something that's useless and unapplicable. So what have you been eating, Trent? Both of, I mean, as we just learned off mic, we were both napping just like 20 minutes prior. And I'm not a big coffee drinker but I like to reserve it for moments when I like really need to get jacked up. And so I said, yo, Parth, let me just, uh, give me, give me, give me, give me 45 extra, just delay the podcast start 45 minutes. Let me make one small cup of coffee. A true professional. And then, um, and then I'll be ready to, to pot, bro. And as you can tell, I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm locked and loaded. I'm like a well-oiled machine and I'm ready to discuss you know, this 2013 film. Ready to rumble. Wait. Huh. Wait. No. Wait. Did I say something? Maybe we should. Wait. Um, are you. Suge- 2013 film or. Are you suggesting this film was released in another year? Well, yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs was released 2015. But I'm looking at it right here. Wait, it's Trent. A, are it, you fucking with me right now or. No, I'm looking at it right here. It says Jobs um, released in 2013. No. Uh, Trent, Starring Ashton Kutcher. Oh, my God. No. Trent. This can't be. Are you fucking? Did with you me right watch now? the other one? Par- oh, come yeah, on. the good one. Yes. Wait, the good one as in 2013's Jobs. It was released first. It must be better. Okay. Okay. There was an arms race on the day of Steve Jobs' death, and Universal Studios came together and they said, "How quickly can we release two movies about the same person to confuse Trent and Parth years down the line?" During their podcast, yeah, and it, this this is not a pre-recorded bit, right? Like this isn't. No, we no, actually no. made this mistake. This miscommunication isn't something that we came up with off camera ten minutes ago. No, and then we were like, "This would be really funny," and it's I think... a genuine mix-up, and it's caused a lot of turbulence and conflict between Parth and I. And frankly, I don't know where the remainder of the episode is going to go from here because we've studied different source material. I had orange juice. Cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services. Our show. It's a podcast. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on that picture. Last week, we had Alwyn Kushler, cinematographer of our film today, Steve Jobs. He was pretty cool, was he not? No, he was um, He was very nice. Um, if you listen back to that episode, we'd appreciate it. Uh, we worked hard on it. This was our second cinematographer, no? Yeah, after Doug Emmett, right? Yeah, Doug Emmett was our Sorry to Bother You episode. I think it's like early on in season one. I think it's our first it's our first episode where we split the interviews and discussions. Uh or maybe the Defive Bloods, could I be wrong? 
Oh yeah, although that was that was that, more of that a... was accidental, right? Yeah. Well, no, wasn't that? Be- Wait, no, no, no. We 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 were going to have two. It was episodes because the on interview that. was so so long. I think we were going to have two episodes on that, but we ended up having one. Yeah, we used to be a, a two-hour podcast, which uh, was good for no one. Wasn't good yeah. for us. Wasn't good for you guys. And now we're just, you know, out here creating digestible content. Uh, you know, the people have spoken. We've we've answered their sweet call. Like Jesus, we've answered their prayers, is what I'd say. I'm not comparing us to religious heroes or figures. But if you were to. But G- all I'm saying is Jesus didn't have a podcast. Like you, That's he, true. He had all of these resources. He could walk on water. Water into wine. But he couldn't, couldn't start a pod. He, he didn't have Doug Emmett on his podcast. You know what Jesus didn't do? What? He didn't have a podcast where each week they would talk about a film and, you know, hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with them about their experience working on the picture. And you could talk about technicalities like technology wasn't invented yet. It was thousands of years away. Jesus had a lot uh, of other stuff going on. He was nailed to crosses. He was dead for three days. But during all this time, like he's God's like prodigal son. And I, controversial statement. I I don't know much about the Bible. Don't know much about Christianity. Don't know much about. Uh, you don't know much. I don't know much about religion and or much in general. But I do know a thing or two about podcasting and the fact that Jesus H Christ, for whatever reason, he didn't release a weekly pod. Um, and it's not a coincidence that our show uh, comes out on Sundays. Maybe we're just kind of picking up where he left off. Like, church can only get you so far. But our Steve Jobs discussion, that'll get you further. Yeah, can you listen to church on your way to work? Can you listen to it while you wash the dishes, while you're on the treadmill? Uh, you could say, yes, Trent, there are televangelists. There are probably, um, there's probably church on the radio. We're not here to discuss facts. We're here to discuss feelings. And, oh, wait, you're going to like this segue. Um Ooh. Steve Jobs, the chosen picture of the day, uh, is another thing that kind of chooses entertainment over facts. Um, Ooh! Ouch! Ooh. Burn, Steve Jobs! Trent Algar, out here with the segues! So Danny Boyle, the director, I just called you out, and if you don't come on the pod and defend yourself, then it's just gonna seem like I won this battle. But Yeah, if that's you- the only reason why I want you on the pod. But if you come to an interview, and then you can state your case... And uh, we'll hear you out. Like, we're we're open to it. Danny Danny Boyle, Boyle, please come on. Please come on. Like, we'd really love to have you as a guest. Like We need the numbers. Like, you'd be our first, like, uh, like big director. That'd be, like, a major stepping stone for us. Whatever. We're desperate, guys. Anyways, shall we... uh, This movie, shall I give its synopsis? This IMDb synopsis? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's about Steve Jobs, but the devil's in the details. Peter Parker is beset with troubles in his failing personal life as he battles a brilliant scientist named Dr. Otto Octavius. Is that right? <laughs> so the funny thing about that is that was a synopsis for Spider-Man 2. Um, a different episode oh. that we did. Um, feel free to listen Wait, back. Wait, how did I mess that up? Feel free to listen back to it. But Parth uh, clearly has either lost his damn mind or he is... Per- he's. Uh, sabotaging the pod intentionally. Parth, are you rushing or dragging? Steve Jobs takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution to paint a portrait of the man at its epicenter. The story unfolds backstage at three iconic product launches ending in 1998 with the unveiling of the iMac. 
Was that better or was that Spider-Man 3? Um, no, that that was... Wait, I, I remember a suspicious amount of Steve Jobs in Spider-Man 3. Just for fun, can we read the synopsis for 2013's Jobs and uh, yeah, and, sure. and compare and contrast? Because uh, I don't think we can keep the bit going that I accidentally watched that film instead. But I think we can have a little fun. Sure, here we go. The story of Steve Jobs' ascension from college dropout into one of the most revered creative entrepreneurs of the 20th century. So have you seen both films? I have. You? Yes, yes, me also. Apparently there's a third Steve Jobs film that was made before his death. Yeah, no, it was a movie called Pirates of the Silicon Valley, and I believe it is about uh, the rivalry between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. If you had to pick a side, I well, I've never seen a movie about Bill Gates, but everyone seems to not like him and thinks that he's chipping us. And he won't give he won't give the the the, the vaccine recipe to third world nations. So, Bill Gates, we're calling you out. Come onto the pod. <laughs> Come onto the pod to reclaim your name. No one will. Okay, listeners, no one buy we will ruin any mic. All right, we're gonna organize a strike. No Microsoft products. Until Bill Gates comes on craft services and tells us what he's hiding. So this movie costs $30 million and it made $34.4 million. So not quite a hit. No. What what does the box office need to be to be considered a hit? A hundred mil? Uh, I mean, it depends for a m- different types. Like if you have a horror movie that cost like $2 million, $50 million is a yes. pretty good return on investment. I think this movie would have had to have made like, at least a hundred million dollars to be considered like a mild success. So what is it doubling or tripling your budget? If you're, you have to at least double because usually they spend advertising. Yeah. So you have to at least do that. And then if it's a co-production, you need to make even more money so that each of the respective parties, I believe this is how it works, but each of the respective parties make enough money for it to have been worth their time and investment. So were both of the Steve Jobs films actually by universal we can get into that in the production history. Nice. All right. T- take it away, because I-, I don't know. Sony Pictures and, well, Scott Rudin, by extension, Sony Pictures. Scott Rudin is an asshole. But Scott Rudin, you can't come on the show. Because we, no. we, we already know you're mean, and so you're unredeemable. Bill Gates has to defend his name. Um, Scott, Rudin ha- Sc- Scott Rudin has ruined his name. Anyways. So Sony Pictures acquired the rights to Walter Isaacson's book, Steve Jobs, in October 2011, and then they hired Aaron Sorkin to adapt it. In May 2012, Sorkin officially confirmed he was writing the script and had come to Steve Wozniak for help with historical accuracy. He said that his screenplay would consist of three 30-minute long scenes covering 16 years of Steve Jobs' life and that they would be backstage behind the Apple keynotes. He developed the screenplay with each section taking place with a few key people in Steve's life. One is Steve Wozniak. The other is Jonah Hoffman. The third is CEO John Scully. The fourth is Mac team developer Andy Hertzfeld. And the fifth and sixth are Jobs' first child, Lisa Brennan Jobs, as well as her mother, Chrisanne Brennan. David Fincher entered negotiations to direct the movie with him selecting Christian Bale as his choice for Jobs. But in April 2014, he exited the project because... He wanted $10 million and full creative control, and Sony did not want that. Yeah, pimp move by Fincher. So then after Fincher's exit, Danny Boyle was hired to direct with Leonardo DiCaprio in discussions for the role. In October, he exited, and then Christian Bale was back into negotiations, along with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Bradley Cooper being considered. 
Sorkin revealed that Bale was again cast in the role and Seth Rogen was entering negotiations to play Steve Wozniak. But in November, Bale again left the project and Fassbender, Michael Fassbender emerged as a frontrunner as a replacement. Natalie Portman entered into negotiations for a role in November 2014, presumably Joanna Hoffman, but she withdrew in December. And in December, Kate Winslet entered negotiations to star in the movie. Trent, do you want to give some fun facts? Sure, I'll do fun facts. The costume designer, uh, Anne Larlar, nice, uh, says the real Jobs never wore his trademark turtleneck sweater at any of the launches. Quote, the turtleneck was the off-book decision in those actual three launches in real life. He never wore that in the 1998 portion of the film. In real life, he was wearing a dark grayish brownish suit. We made it for him as a backup idea in case we need to adhere to it. As we got closer to the time of filming, I thought we'd set up rules for 1984, we'd set up rules for 1988. There's so much of the film that's about design, and he was about design. And I heard a quote from Fassbender from people giving him shit for the turtleneck thing, and his reasoning was, he, since in the third act, Steve Jobs needed to be like fully arrived, and this was like the the commonly held vision of him. And I thought that was... A, a, a good enough a good enough reasoning because otherwise he yeah. would he would have just been in a in a historically accurate yet um unnotable grayish brown suit so i'm down sony pictures entertainment hack in december 2014 revealed casting caused the film's production to be delayed was this the uh the interview uh sony pictures hack or is that a or is sony just getting hacked every day uh every day left and right no it, it was the same one and like a bunch of emails were leaked and uh sorkin was not a fan of michael fassbender being cast tom cruise matthew mcconaughey and charlie Theron were at one point being considered for potential roles in the film there's a lot of what ifs in this in this movie and a lot of a-list actors in the in the sliding doors of hollywood the first as we discussed with cinematographer alan kukler please listen to that episode the first act was shot in 16 millimeter the second act was shot in 35 millimeter and the third act is shot in digital um, the three-act film was shot in sequence. The actors spent four weeks on each act, rehearsing for two weeks and then filming for two weeks. Kate Winslet said that by act three, Michael Fassbender didn't even have a script at the rehearsals as he had memorized all 180 pages. Aaron Sorkin has said that he's never actually met Steve Jobs in person, but that he has spoken to him on the phone three times. Macintosh Super Bowl commercial, the 1984 one, was directed by Ridley Scott, the final of the fun facts. Several memorable scenes in the movie never happened in real life. Some of these are the scene where Jobs' little daughter uses the computer to draw a picture on iPaint, uh, the reconciliation between John Scully and Jobs, most of the arguments with Steve Wozniak, and the final scene between Jobs and his now grown-up daughter. On the other hand, the infamous scene where it's implied that's it's more than implied, where Steve Jobs puts his feet in the toilet bowl to calm himself did actually happen, and it says this was jo- one of Jobs' infamous quirks, and that Michael Fassbender asked or demanded that it be in the film since it wasn't in Sorkin's script. And I'm kind of surprised that these are the only notable events that they claim didn't happen, because if you told me that 100% of this was fictionalized outside of the characters themselves existing, I would believe you. Yes. Shall I give a one-star review, Trent? Please. Oh, uh, warning to you, little listeners at home. Uh, we got four four one-star reviews today. Par- I, Parth usually like breaks my spirit and uh, edits edits it down, but... He, the reviews spoke for themselves today, and he couldn't resist the temptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this first one is from Jay Galt. 
and he wrote it on March 2nd, 2016, and the heading is $4.99 wasted. I was expecting a movie and got a play. If you're not biased against Ashton Kutcher, Jobs was fantastic in all caps. You can understand my sympathy with this review because I've been on the wrong side of this argument before. Um, This one's by Robert D. Rulo, and it says, I wouldn't waste your time. Terrible movie. There was so much missed to cram his life in under two hours. There should have been focus on one specific event and not his entire life. I was thinking today about how this is kind of a condensed Before Sunrise trilogy. Imagine if Before Sunrise was one movie. Or, I mean, it, the, 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 it is one movie. Hey, I, excuse me. If the trilogy was one movie. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, I guess that would be what this is. But I don't think that there could be a Steve Jobs trilogy of these three different no. launches. I mean, you could. It just wouldn't be as interesting. So the third one is by CNH, and it says disappointing on April 23rd, 2021. So this is pretty recent. I think Steve Jobs as a man, as a father, as a human being was disappointing. The film was fine. But as a character, was hard to watch. Yeah, if I ever watch a movie and any of the characters are making questionable decisions, I'm like, how do you expect This me- is difficult for me. How do you expect me to watch this? Personally, I don't believe in anti-heroes. I need a clear distinction between good and evil. Otherwise, all this moral ambiguity, I don't care for it. And the fourth review is by Paulette Johnson. And it says, I really cannot recommend this movie says, it was a movie with a lot of walking down hallways, people interrupting conversations by knocking on the door, way too many flashbacks, etc. It may have been how his life was, but it was hard to follow. I really cannot recommend this movie. They can't recommend it. It seems like they're on the fence about it, but they can't. They just can't. What, 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 what comes next? I mean, we've got all the foreplay out of the way. I guess it's just uh, our thoughts. Is that a thing people want to hear? Or like, Yeah, no, I mean, we are two college-age film students with uh, with a lot of cinema knowledge under our belts, and we just need to, you know, we just need to shower the peasants with some, uh, th- with some facts and logic. That's what we do here, facts and logic. Uh, so what's working, Parth? Well, um, for me, kind of all of it. I'm a huge, huge fan of this movie. I I think I saw this, ironically, on my iPhone in mm. 2016 or something. Um, and it, did there. I'm, I'm a huge, huge Aaron Sorkin fan, and at the time I was a super fan. And um, I've always really liked this movie. It kind of feels like a nice companion piece to The Social Network, obviously kind of just being because it's, you know, about, the about two very big. And written by yeah. the same person. Exactly. And what I really admire about this is that it is a biopic that's not really a biopic. It it kind of, there's a lot of reviews where people kind of admonish it for being a play, kind of. But that's kind of one of my favorite aspects about it, is that I understand that it's not an accurate retelling of the literal events that happened in Steve Jobs' life. And if you want that, you can kind of go see Jobs, which is also not 100% accurate. But the existence of Jobs 2013 and Job, Steve Jobs 2015 kind of shows two opposite approaches to the same material where one kind of goes from a cradle to grave narrative and the other decides to do a slightly more experimental approach and key moments so to say exactly and and to sort of compress a lot of events that happen into obviously these six people did not meet each other you know at the same time and all have these arguments but obviously that's very dramatically compelling and i really like that aspect of it that 
even though it's not literally true, the people people in Steve Jobs' life have said that this is an accurate depiction of who he was as a character. And I really appreciate how strong of a character study it is. I think through the specificity of the storytelling, just as a viewer, you have to acknowledge that it would be impossible for these conversations to be like verbatim. And so, uh, I mean, I appreciate that it doesn't, I mean, it's clearly, quote, based on a true story, but not opening with a title card saying these events really happened. It it helps me shrug it off. Kind of like you mentioned, when you're doing a biopic, your choices are kind of either to do their entire life and how they their rise and fall uh, uh, to greatness um, mm-hmm. or to pick like an individual moment that defined their life or their career. And I kind of like that this is both, as in it's spanning over a long period of time, so you get to see a real arc. But it's not its not just a single... It, it's not too much and it's not too little. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a very unique stylistic choice that I think worked. I think Sorkin said that when he was sort of being criticized a lot for it, for it being uh, fictionalized, um, I think his response to that is that when you go see a play about Henry V or something you're not expecting it to be accurate exactly to what happened to Henry V. And in a similar token, it's, it's kind of different when these are characters that like just existed. Um, but I think the same kind of dramatic rules apply. I was just going to say it's kind of like recency bias in that the closer the event was, the more people who will think that they have an insight as to what really happened compared to a World War II movie that comes out now. Not too many people are going to attack it for historical inaccuracy. Yes, it just cuz we're, you know, we're less in tune for what was and what wasn't at that time. But if it, you know, if if it's a movie that takes place in 2016, it's, you know, if you're it'll be much easier to to point out the technicalities. All right, so what the first thing I wrote down under what's working is Michael Fassbender because I yes. think he um, kills the role. He is now what people picture when they think of Steve Jobs is him in the third act wearing the turtleneck. I don't know if I'd go that far only because not that many people saw this movie. True. Um, I would imagine they might think of, you know, actual pictures of Steve Jobs wearing a or turtleneck. Maybe Ashton Kutcher. We never know. But t- talking about some of the other people who were considered um, that Christian Bale, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Bradley Cooper. Who's your plan B? Because I, I think Fassbender, at least in terms of physical resemblance, is the is the closest. And like like Tom Cruise, I see. Well, he they came under fire because he Michael Fassbender looks kind of nothing like Steve Jobs. He looks most like him in the third act, but yes. if you actually look at Steve Jobs, he doesn't really look anything like him. But I think that kind of ties into what this whole movie is, which is they're not recreating events. They're sort of painting with broad strokes of kind of essentially what happened. I think the Jobs versus Steve Jobs thing is very interesting because, again, two opposite approaches to the same material. And you look at Jobs where Ashton Kutcher looks a way hell of a lot more like Steve Jobs did in real life. You compare those performances and which one is more convincing, which one is more engaging. It's 100% in my eyes, Michael Fassbender. Yes. Despite Ashton Kutcher taking... uh... Oh, the, the method acting approach of him being like, yeah, I, I was a vegan. Only eat fruit. Yeah. Uh, is that Steve Jobs? Is that what he actually did or was he just a vegan? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. It, I, that doesn't sound like a sustainable diet choice. No, it does not. It is not. Oh, but answer my question about, uh, about uh, actors, plan B. Well, here's the thing. 
this is going to come across as me being a super fan, which I am. Let's see but I think Tom Cruise would have been an interesting choice. I don't think he would have been right for the movie. I think Michael Fassbender is a better choice because the problem with Tom Cruise a lot of the times is I think he's a very good actor, but he's never not Tom Cruise. It, it's just by virtue of him being so popular and famous, you can't not see him. And I think one of the better aspects of Fassbender's performance is that he really sinks into it where he's not real like life Steve Jobs in the way Kutcher is Steve Jobs, but he's also not Michael Fassbender. He's He is the character of the movie, Steve Jobs. I think Tom Cruise could do like the intense facial expressions required like but i think what he'd be missing is some of i mean it's not his fault but tom cruise is kind of a shorter guy and i think steve jobs is like famously a little tall and just like with the physicality of the role i think fastbender like i don't know i just i make tom cruise look taller true yes apple boxes exist but i can't imagine it any other way but parth if you had to choose between dicaprio bale Damon, Affleck, Bradley Cooper. Where where are you going? I guess Christian Bale. Yep. Because I feel like having an A having an A plus lister like almost doesn't make sense. Like I think it would be distracting. That's the thing is that um, actually Sorkin was pissed off about that. Is he really did not want Michael Fast? I don't know how he feels about it now, but there's in the Sony hack, uh, you could there were a bunch of emails where he was upset because he wanted Christian Bale or Tom Cruise for the role. And when Michael Fassbender was cast, he was like, nobody's going to see this movie. He's not an A-list actor, which is true. But the problem is that Christian Bale, at the very least, is kind of transformative in the way that he looks. He, I could potentially see him, you know, sinking into that role because he's one of the few, like, A-lister chameleon actors. Yes. But I think Michael Fassbender, short of playing Magneto is kind of just like a weird actor. He kind of does a lot of weird projects. And I think him not being a household name really benefits the project. It it hurt its box office a lot. But yeah, here's a question I'm most interested in is, would you rather have this movie or the version of this movie that was directed by David Fincher? And I know that's a Ooh. difficult question to answer because we because don't know what that looks like. And also because we're biased because David Fincher is perhaps this podcast's favorite director. One of uh, them at the very least. I'm happier. I mean, there is a universe. I was going to say I'd rather have the social network, but there is a universe where he directed the social network and then is offered that it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but well, I, I mean, think- that's what did happen. It was off the basis of the social network being a success. That yeah, they I, it to him. I kind of think that they would be two similar movies in a row. And mm. I, I like, obviously, I think it would work because Fincher is so technically proficient. Would you would you have would you prefer the Fincher version, the theoretical Fincher version? No, um, I thought about this a lot before we started recording. And I think there's an interview where Danny Boyle says that he was such a huge fan of the social network that he was like kind of scared to take on this movie because he knew it would be it would be in the shadow of it. Exactly. But what he said is that Fincher kind of directed the sitting down technology movie, which is true. It's a lot of people talking in boardrooms, people discussing code and whatever. The standing up, the walking this is around. the getting up and walking around movie. And he was like, you know, Steve Jobs is this just incredible force of energy constantly moving. And I think Danny Boyle's sort of kinetic energy and sort of off-the-cuff style uh, really helps the movie have a sense of pace. I know it's hard to envision, but 
if the characters were sitting down in this film, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it would still be well-made because it's Fincher. I'm sure he would have done something interesting with it. And I kind of want to see what his take on the material is. But I kind of agree that you would have, it would feel like more of the social network in a certain sense, even if it wasn't that. It would be like weirdly compared to that. Whereas I think this is like different enough in style and tone. Like, I think this is a little bit more of a funny movie than Social Network is. It, 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 kind of, it functions in a similar way uh, in terms of editing as the Social Network. Because I think the the cross cutting between like college and and the lawsuits kind of work yeah. in in this as like with the flashbacks and there's a lot of intercutting. The, the the main question I was thinking about watching this movie is everyone makes the comparison to a play, but I don't think it's b- besides the fact that oh it's very dialogue heavy and it takes place primarily in one in in one space. I think with all the walking around, it would be nearly impossible to do as a play i think you could do it as a play and i mean like the middle portion would have to be modified significantly because i think like my favorite scene in the movie is the john scully argument in the middle in the in the Um, boardroom uh well that that part of like the whole sequence it's like a 10 minute sequence where they're arguing and it's cross-cutting between them between him getting fired about the soup oh with the super bowl commercial with the super bowl commercial that's like my favorite scene i would say in the movie just because I think that's so dramatic. You're issuing contradictory instructions. You're insubordinate. You make people miserable. Our top engineers are fleeing to Sundell, HP. Wall Street doesn't know who's driving the bus. We've lost hundreds of millions in value, and I'm the CEO of Apple, Steve. That's my resume. But before that, you sold carbonated sugar water, right? I sat in a fucking garage with Wozniak and invented the future because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. All right. This guy's out of control. I'm perfectly willing to hand in my resignation tonight, but if you want me to stay, you can't have Steve. Settle him out. He can keep a share of stock so he gets our newsletter. He'll have to sever his connection to Apple. I'm dead serious. I want the secretary to call for a vote. I fucking dare you. That scene would obviously have to be redone because you can't cross-cut in a play. Yes. But I kind of see what they mean in that it's... It's all primarily in a single location and it's all just characters talking about things rather than them like happening on screen. So I kind of see what they mean, but I like how despite the di- the dialogue and screenplay being written sort of as a play, again, it's that Danny Boyle sense of urgency. And we talked with Alan Kushler, which was cool because he was talking about how they basically really needed all these steady cams and really good steady cam operators because they were like 80% of the movie is shot on steady cam, I think he said, right? Yeah, I, I was looking out and there was really only a few handheld shots throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So if we're, while we're talking about what works, I think the f- first act and the third act are significantly stronger than the second act. How do we really? feel? I if we're talking about rewatchability, I I could turn this movie on at any point because I love the first 40 minutes and then I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs for the next 40 minutes waiting to get to the final 40 minutes. That's so interesting because I think this the middle act is my favorite part of the movie. With what for for what reason? I think what's interesting about that is that the first part is kind of the, the most fun part to watch, yes. I think. Because it's so immediately engaging, immediately like, come on, we gotta do this. You're tossed into the deep end. I think the middle act to me is the most interesting because with the first act, you've still got Steve Jobs 
you know, he's on top of his game. He's everybody loves him. He's he's insecure, but he's like he's kind of sure of, sure of himself. And with the third act, you've got him more sure of himself. He's he's toned down a little bit. And I think the movie does a really good job of showing through the repetitious nature of its structure. You kind of see how he reacts differently to the same situations. Yes. And the third act shows him mellowing down, being a little bit nicer, being a bit of a better boss. The middle act is him hurting, essentially, and him essentially in the middle of a breakup with his own company. And I think that that is very intriguing. I think Fassbender's performance in that is very dark in a way that I don't think that the first or third is. And he's he's filled with a lot more angry energy. And I, I kind of gravitate towards that. And again, I think that that showdown between him and Scully is... You know, that's been a major inspiration for me, like, in writing things. What do you think about the the opening intro clip and the uh, the interludes? Because uh, I love the interlude between Act 1 and 2 with the, uh, with the, the little girl walking around. And then the second interlude of just... Uh, News footage, I care about much less. And and the intro, I think, is... I, I, I like the intro, but it, it kind of doesn't have that much to do with what's happening. But I'm not really sure why they chose to put that at the beginning. I don't have a problem with it, because it still fits the movie in that it's, like, about this technology. It's about, like, it's kind of prophetic. It kind of makes sense, but I'm not 100% sure why it's there. It's not necessary. Maybe they needed a title sequence, and that was the way to get it. I really like the the interludes. I really like the second one actually, purely because I think it's very visually stimulating. Again, like that the that first interlude, you don't get a visual like that with David Fincher. I don't think. I think that's a very Danny Boyle sort of having that text and her walking through the text like that. I don't think like with Fincher's visual language. Yeah, like I don't think that would work. So this is this is nothing new, and we're not the first people to say this and this isn't the first time we said it on this podcast but Aaron Sorkin has I mean has written so much and for so long he's developed things called like Sorkinisms and I yeah. uh, maybe we can leave the link in the show notes but I for the first time watched on YouTube there's like a supercut of uh, Sorkinisms do you know what I'm speaking of I know exactly what you're speaking of it was very funny to see all the repeating uh, exact quotes that he's used over his career and so when he worked with Fincher on the social network, if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, it's them going like line by line. <laughs> and like, there's a scene where he's like, you don't need to have him say this three times. Yeah. Stop. E- essentially that being attached to a director like Fincher, like kept him in his cage and kept things from getting too cute. And I think in this film, uh, there are several times. Full blast. There are several times where Sorkin is uncaged. And it is, yes. it's a little bit too cheeky. And I'm like, I, 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 uh, I don't know. I, some things are like over pronounced, over pronunciated. I'm like, yeah, sometimes it's not like, that's not how real people talk. I don't have too much of a problem with the fact that real people don't talk like that because people don't talk like any of his dialogue generally. But I do agree if we wanted to get into what doesn't work. This isn't really a specifically, I, I don't think anything doesn't work in this movie. I think there's there's maybe like a few things that you could take issue with, but it's a little too much sometimes um, with its irony and witty comebacks and person repeating what they just said or what the other person said. I think that can happen a few too many times. And I think 
Boyle didn't have as much creative control over this, or he had a lot of faith in the script. So with Sorkin, famously, there will be several like uh, trains of thought going on, and sure. you'll explore one, and then a f- and then you'll skip on to another, and then you'll and then uh, several sentences later, after topic one has been long forgotten you'll reference back to it and it's used again here there's sometimes when it's two characters talking and i'm like like sorkin dialogue makes perfect sense for the social network because it's like everyone silicon valley people it's harvard people they're all operating on a very certain high functioning wavelength and not i mean these are once again people in the tech industry but like the 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 moment that cemented it for me is it's in act two when michael fassbender is talking to his daughter and they're and she's she's listening to her cassette deck and he's like ah what are the two different versions of the song and then you know she says oh the first one's girlish and then they go downstairs and then right before she's about to leave he's like oh what's the second version and she like pauses for a second and then she's like regretful and then michael fassbender thinks that she's referring to herself and he's like what are you regretful about? And she's like, ah, no, I'm talking about the song. Yes. That's what's I know regretful. What you're talking about. And I'm like, Steve Jobs, like, you're operating on, like, you're way too smart of a man to be confused about this. Yes. Sorkin loves to do the caught off guard by, like, mistakenly assume something means something, but it actually meant a different thing. Yes. And that reveals their character. I agree. That moment, that moment. I don't like, well, I like the moment, but I think it could have been written better because it's like, it's kind of college freshman year writing. And I think that should have been ironed out a little bit more. But I I think as far as it not making sense that people talk like that, like this versus the social network where people are in the tech industry and maybe talk like that, that's kind of a Sorkin thing. He had a show that was about the behind the scenes stage work of essentially an snl type skit show that lasted one season and everybody talks like that you, you you're either on board with it or you're not on board with it he he kind he kind of gets away with it because time after time whether it's the west wing uh or uh, or any of these movies or, i mean i was watching moneyball last night and all of it great movie great movie and all of them deal in like a great level of I mean, they're professionals, and then it's, like, a great level of, like, specificity, so it's a lot of just, like, industry vocabulary. Yeah. He's never written, or I mean, not never, but very, not in my knowledge has he written a movie about people with SAT scores less than a 1,000, you know? Yeah, is there there anything that you don't like other than that about the movie? Because I remember we were hanging out, actually, the first time when we recorded our Judas intro. Sure. You said that you'd rewatch Steve Jobs and you were disappointed by it, but you've since rewatched it, and I, I seem to feel like it's gone back up in its ranking for you sure i this is long time been one of my most rewatchable movies part partly for the reason i mentioned and that i love the first 40 minutes so much i mean it's not one of my best qualities but i like films that are really dialogue heavy because then i can play them in the background while i mess around on other tabs and so films less of a visual focus i watch time and time again there's a lot of talking in zodiac and the social network um and and noah bombback movies which is why i keep going back to them Mm -hmm. i don't have too many uh notes under the what doesn't work category i mean child actors are often hit or miss and i kind of think the actor who plays 
the girl at every or the daughter at every step of the way like just something isn't clicking for me or the line readings are the tiniest bit off i mean i'm i was a child and i didn't successfully act so i'm in no especially sorkin dialogue yes it's very it's it's a it's a mouthful and they are like six so yeah if you're i like i like the adult one though in the third act so the line reading from from the adult one that made Okay, so it's when they're in the hallway and uh, Michael Fassbender is like, it's some college freshman introductory class. Like, that's what's turned you against me. And then she says, I read time. And then I did some looking into my family history. Something happened to you at school. Some first semester core class that all freshmen are required to take. Some I read time. What? I have internet access at school. I read an old copy of Time and I asked my mom some questions about my family history. That was... Time wrote a mangled piece of journal you were never supposed to read I that. had two different Harvard statisticians try to reverse engineer the equation that you came up with to prove that 28% of American men could be my father. And I'm like, you would just say, I read Time and what the fuck, you said you're not my dad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's more of a problem with the script, th- though. Um, yeah, and what do you think of, it's kind of weird how in the first act, he's like, hey, you're definitely not my daughter. And I don't know what happens in the interim, but they're like just chilling in act two. And then by act three, they're like, I don't know, he like, he believes that they're related and, you know, um, what do you think? I, here, here's the thing that's I mean, this could be a, a Steve Jobs himself character flaw of being a bad father. It is. It is. Uh, but that that is true. But uh, I kind of see this as even in the first act, you know that he knows that she's his daughter, but he's just lying to himself. And in the second act, you kind of see him being like a reluctant father. Yeah. Um, in that he's there, but he's not re- like he's giving all these orders to Chrisanne, but he's also not really paying attention to his daughter. He doesn't really care about her or like. He cares about her, but in a very, I don't want you to die way, not in a, I will spend time with you way. Or in, um, in, in thinking that by making her go to school, that that's like the full. Yeah, that's the best he can do. Uh, of being a father. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of his, a lot of his quote unquote parenting is just like shitting on Chris Ann. Yes. And, yes. and yeah. just saying that she's a bad mother. I, under her, I understand her frustration. I mean, uh, the Chris Ann character is kind of, um. It's kind of volatile, but I understand her frustration. I kind of like how they deal with her in that it's like, it's clear that Jobs is like insufferable and that yes. he's like a bad dad, but she's also like fucking crazy too. Yes. But yeah, but what I was saying is that I, I like that the third act shows him being the dad he should be or like kind of trying to be, but it, you've seen too much of what he was as a dad that it doesn't, for the daughter, 100% compute. What do you think of the... I made this connection for the first time today in that the I paint drawing that is like he hands her the piece of paper at the very end and it's supposed to be significant. It's kind of like the rosebud of the film where, you know, sure, some significant moment from his from childhood or from earlier years that, you know, it's thus like the thesis or whatever. I mean, I I like it, but uh, I mean, it's the final shot of the film, but he walks on stage and then he starts walking back at his daughter as if he's not about to give a keynote presentation. Do you know what the deal with that is? Um, I'm not sure what the deal is. I don't think he's walking back to her. I think it's more so that she's seeing him. Well, it makes sort of in that. It makes for a good shot. Yeah. 
I, I, it kind of doesn't make sense that he just came out to do a keynote and then is going to go back to his daughter. But ending the movie on a note of the daughter being the one to, it's kind of like switching the perspective a little bit. Um, where we've seen been seeing things through Jobs' eyes, and now we're seeing this. In a way, the movie is sort of Jobs' daughter trying to understand her own father because he wasn't there for her. Him coming out and all of that glory and like all these whatever, it's like, okay, this is the best version of this man, I guess. And so I guess that's sort of like he's that version is coming for her. That in combination with the painting thing, it's like, in my own way, I never not cared. You know what I mean? But that's that's what I like about this movie is that it's it's complicated. Are we ready to move on to ratings gauntlet? I I, I was gonna say nitpicks and then ratings gauntlet. Oh sure, yeah. I don't really have many, but uh, Parth, I'll say this: How many slots should there be? Should like should we make this for for the hobbyists, for the hackers, or do we want end to end control? What are you talking about? Why would you only want two slots? A printer and a modem. With eight slots, you, this is a huge deal that we were able to add eight slots. I appreciate the engineering, but it's not what we're doing. Here's the thing: both are right, but Steve Jobs is ultimately more right. I, I I like the theme permeating through this film. I mean, it's kind of says something about humans and convenience and having everything handed to them. But I, I think Steve Jobs' approach in that what people want is like ease of use and to be handed a product and then not need to do anything and for it to be all there. And that's exactly what Apple has perfected. And I like seeing the origins of it here, especially where people think that it's not going to work because now it's yeah. it's like American religion. In, in a way, you can read this as a reading on Sorkin's own work because there's so many complaints that you can lodge at Sorkin about his work and that it's very indulgent. It's very sarcastic. It's very that's not how people talk, you know, like all these things in the same way that people kind of throw shit at. Steve Jobs, where it's like, why do you have all these weird things? Why is it 90 degrees and not 90.1 degrees? Why is it end-to-end control? Why can you not send an email from a next computer? You know, all these things. And in a way, I think, for all intents and purposes, it seems like Aaron Sorkin is a good father, so I don't think it's really a reading on that level. Yeah, uh, Aaron Sorkin has a thing. I mean, speaking of Moneyball again, he has a, I mean, and it applies to this film. Uh, he has a thing for father-daughter relationships. Yes, he has a daughter, which makes sense. But um, I think you, it's kind of like Sorkin requires end-to-end control, and he requires like complete quality assurance. None of the movies that he's been made have been just bought. He's been very closely involved with them, with the directors and everything. So I think on that level, it seems like he can kind of connect with Jobs. Parth, uh, fi- final, fi- final nitpick. Um, there's something of an Steve Jobs is an orphan subplot. And I think the thing with his dad, like owning a, the restaurant that he goes to, is kind of like I'm I, I'm down with it, but it's uh, I don't know, it's not fully explored, you know. I agree that that is the one thing that I think is kind of in the script, but not fully explored, where it ties into everything else. I think everything else kind of locks in perfectly, and then this is kind of like I guess it's that feeling of abandonment. It's, it's to set that up where he's talking about, you know, how he felt abandoned as a child in the first act. Because it's not like the baby is born. The parents look and say, nah, we're not interested in this one. On the other hand, someone did choose you. 
It's having no control. You find out you were out of the loop when the most crucial events in your life were set in motion. As long as you have control. I don't understand people who give it up. And then that's supposed to be like when when he's at next. Yeah, like he was abandoned by Apple. Yeah, um, I hear you. I, I think that you could maybe flesh it out more, but I guess I see what they were trying to do there. That That's kind of like me with my nitpicks with the whole movie is that there's some lines of dialogue that are like kind of weird or something, but nothing where it's like, I don't care that much that like the fact that it's not changed is a problem for me. It's kind of amazing that his his next plant worked out so well because to get fired and then to come back and get bought for half a billion dollars and then get end-to-end control in every product it's a it's a pretty big jump and i know they were 90 days from insolvency do you want to enter the ratings gauntlet sure let's do it trent you go first rewatchability yes emphasis on acts one and three would i recommend it to a friend absolutely it's probably on if, if I was tasked with making a short list of 50 movies to watch for the rest of my life, strangely enough, this might be on the list. And out of 10, I'd say like an 8. It's most of the way there, but it's not it's not perfect. But it's I not still, social network. Yes. Uh, if, if there ever comes a time where we're lucky enough to do a social network interview, I think I may I may have to hand out my first 10. But is that Would that be your first 10? It Have would. you ever given it out of 10? Wow. I know. Trent. I'm saving myself. But in eight, it does pretty much everything right, but it's uh it, it's got some cute little imperfections. But but, sure. but Fastbender killed it. You killed it. Yeah. I mean, I would say pretty much the same thing. This is for me one of my most rewatched movies ever if I'm ever trying to get into the mood for writing. I watch this movie because mm. it just charges you up. It's like yeah. an adrenaline shot. Um, so I'd, many, so many words per minute. I have recommended this movie to countless friends, so that's a yes. So and... that, wait, wait. So let's go back to that. You have countless friends to recommend films to. I have a lot of friends, Trent. I'm well liked by most, if not all. Yeah, you seem really well connected, both just on a personal level, like end in the film world. You're probably gonna, yeah, I mean, succeed. What can I say? And rating out of ten. I'm going to give this a 9.5. Whoa! Because I can't... The point five is because there are a few, like, weird things. There's some lines where I'm like, why'd you do it like that? You know, or like, that that could have been... That could have gone for another draft, maybe. Yeah. But there's just so much working, and I, I appreciate what this movie stands for in a certain sense of, like, not doing the traditional biopic. Because it would have been so easy to, like have it you know starting out in the garage and like like having that sort of movie would be a very different type of movie and way less engaging and this is just a much more entertaining character study well i think that just about wraps up tw- the 2013 film jobs uh yeah, I, starring I think, ashton kutcher i think we covered it from end to end control end to end control and parth and i from this point on will only be eating fruit until it proves that it doesn't provide uh, the nutritional requirements for life and we drop dead and therefore can't pod anymore yeah with all that being said what, what comes next what's next week well trent thanks for asking uh next week we're going to be talking with martha pinson script supervisor for the departed wait the departed the departed yeah wait was yeah i was just gonna say was she um was she a really nice lady she was very nice and she's worked with 
you know, Sidney Lumet, Brian De Palma, Oliver Stone, some, you know, just some, some names. Wait, and Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Yes. Am I wrong or has Martha Pinson worked on like 10 plus Martin Scorsese films? I don't know if it's 10 plus, but it is a lot. It's almost like she has like a long-term established relationship with like perhaps arguably one of the best living directors. Yes. And so we are only one degree of separation away from Martin Scorsese. Pretty much, yeah. In next week's episode. So I'm not trying to say that Martin Scorsese is going to be on our show, but it's like the possibility is open. Yeah. What is Scorsese's next movie, by the way? It is a Western. I think it's Killer Flowers of the Moon, something something like that. Didn't, didn't DiCaprio choose to be in that instead of the next Tarantino? No, he uh, instead of, I think, the next Guillermo del Toro movie. Mm. He dropped out of that because Tarantino doesn't know what movie he's doing yet, or at least he hasn't said. Well, Parth, I'd say now would be a good time to get back on topic and to um, to end the episode. But before we end it, is there anything we want our viewers, or sorry, listeners to do for us? Or It's an excellent question. We have a list of demands, and Parth, is, he has a handgun, and he's not afraid to use it. I'm his trusted co-host, and he just shot me in square in the chest. Dead. He's dead and, now. And so you can only imagine the unmerciful things that he is like, willing and able to do to you. Number one, you're going to go onto Apple Podcasts. Number two, you're going to scroll down to the review section. Number three, you're going to hit the five star button and then it's going to ask you to write a review and you are going to write a very flattering, nice review. Let me reference back to the five star part because if it's four stars, get the shit out of here. Yeah, we don't want that. Um, And even if you think that we don't deserve all five stars, it's not really up to you, is it? It's tough. I have a gun and you probably don't. And so we're, um, we're blackmailing you. Uh, and at the risk of violence, we if you've come this far, we recommend for your own safety and protection. For legal purposes, this is all a joke. Yeah, no, guys. Like, we would really appreciate it if you wrote us a review, but there won't yeah, be. Yeah, we're not going to kill you. There, there, won't won't be phys- there won't be physical repercussions. You're not going to die. Only Trent will die. And if um, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, this is all parts idea. I would, I would never commit. Wait, what? What?